Chapter Five of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Five by Eugène Sue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. La Force. We may perhaps be accused, from the space accorded to the following scenes, of injuring the unity of our story by some episodical pictures, but it seems to us that at this moment particularly when important questions of punishment are engaging the attention of the legislature that the interior of a prison that frightful pandemonium that gloomy thermometer of civilization will be an opportune study in a word the various physiognomies of prisoners of all classes the relations of kin or affection which still bind them to the world from which their jail walls separate them appear to us worthy of interest and attention we hope therefore to be excused for having grouped about many prisoners known to the readers of this history other secondary characters intended to put in relief certain ideas of criticism and to complete the initiation of a prison life let us enter la force there is nothing sombre or repulsive in the aspect of this house of incarceration in the rue du roi de sicile in the marais in the centre of one of the first courts there are some clumps of trees thickened with shrubs at the roots of which there are already here and there the green precocious shoots of primroses and snowdrops a raised accent surmounted by a porch covered with trellis-work in which naughty stalks of the vine entwine leads to one of the seven or eight walks assigned to the prisoners the vast buildings which surround these courts very much resemble those of barrack or manufactory kept with exceeding care there are lofty facades of white stone pierced with high and large windows which admit of the free circulation of pure air the stones and pavement of the enclosures are kept excessively clean on the ground floor the large apartments warmed during the winter are kept well ventilated during the summer and are used during the day as places of conversation work or for the meals of the prisoners the upper stories are used as immense dormitories ten or twelve feet high with dry and shining floors two rows of iron beds are there arranged and excellent bedding it is consisting of a palliasse a soft and thick mattress a bolster white linen sheets and a warm woollen blanket at the sight of these establishments comprising all the requisites for comfort and health we are much surprised in spite of ourselves being accustomed to suppose that prisons are miserable dirty unwholesome and dark this is a mistake it is such dog-holes as that occupied by morel the lapidary and in which so many poor and honest workmen languish in exhaustion compelled to give up their truckle bed to a sick wife and to leave with hopeless despair their wretched famishing children shuddering with cold in their infected straw that is miserable dark dirty and pestilent the same contrast holds with respect to the physiognomy of the inhabitants of these two abodes incessantly occupied with the wants of their family which they can scarcely supply from day to day seeing a destructive competition lessen their wages the laborious artisans become dejected dispirited the hour of rest does not sound for them and a kind of somnolent lassitude alone breaks in upon their overtasked labour then on awakening from this painful lethargy they find themselves face to face with the same overwhelming thoughts of the present and the same uneasiness for the future but the prisoner indifferent to the past happy with the life he leads certain of the future for he can be assured by an offence or a crime regretting his liberty doubtless but finding much compensation in the actual enjoyment 
certain of taking with him when he quits prison a considerable sum of money gained by easy and moderate labour esteemed or rather dreaded by his companions in proportion to his depravity and perversity the prisoner on the contrary will always be gay and careless again we ask what does he want does he not find in prison good shelter good bed good food high wages note one easy work and especially society at his choice a society we repeat which measures his consideration by the magnitude of his crimes a hardened convict knows neither misery hunger nor cold what is to him the horror he inspires honest persons withal he does not see does not know them his crimes made his glory his influence his strength with the ruffians in the midst of whom he will henceforward pass his life why should he fear shame instead of the serious and charitable remonstrances which might compel him to blush for and repent the past he hears the ferocious applauses which encourage him to theft and murder scarcely imprisoned he plans fresh crimes what can be more logical if discovered and at once apprehended he will find the repose the bodily supplies of a prison and his joyous and daring associates of crime and debauchery if his experience in crimes be less than that of others does he for that invince the less remorse it follows that he is exposed to brutal scoffing infernal taunts and horrible threats and a thing so rare that it has become the exception to the rule if the prisoner leaves this fearful pandemonium with the firm resolution to return to the pass of honesty by excessive labour courage patience and honesty and has been able to conceal the infamy of his past career the meeting with one of his old comrades in jail is sufficient to overturn this good intention for the restoration of his character so painfully struggled for note one high wages if we reflect that with all expenses paid the prisoner may gain from five to ten sous a day how many workmen are there who can save such a sum and in this way a hardened discharged convict proposes a job to a repentant comrade the latter in spite of bitter menaces refuses this criminal association forthwith an anonymous information reveals the life of the unfortunate fellow who was desirous at every sacrifice of concealing and expiating a first fault by honourable behaviour then exposed to the contempt or at least the distrust of those whose goodwill he had acquired by dint of industry and probity this man reduced to distress and urged by want yielding at length to incessant temptations although nearly restored to society will again fall and for ever into the depths of that abyss whence he had escaped with such difficulty in the following scenes we shall endeavour to demonstrate the monstrous and inevitable consequences of confinement in masses after ages of barbarous experiments and pernicious hesitations it seemed suddenly understood how irrational it is to plunge into an atmosphere of deepest vice persons whom a pure and salubrious air could alone save how many centuries to discover that in placing in dense contact diseased beings we redouble the intensity of their malignity which is thus rendered incurable how many centuries to discover that there is in a word but one remedy for this overwhelming leprosy which threatens society isolation we should esteem ourselves happy if our feeble voice could be if not relied upon at least spread amongst all those which more imposing more eloquent than our own demand with such just and impatient urgency the entire and unqualified application of the cell system one day perchance 
society will know that wickedness is an accidental not an organic malady that crimes are almost always the results of perverted instincts impulses still good in their essence but falsified rendered evil by ignorance egotism or the carelessness of governments and that the health of the soul like that of the body is unquestionably kept subordinate to the laws of a healthy and preserving system of control god bestows on all passions that strive for predominance strong appetites the desire to be at ease and it is for society to balance and satisfy these wants the man who only participates in strength goodwill and health has a right a sovereign right to have his labour justly remunerated in a way that shall assure to him not the superfluities but the necessaries of life the means of continuing healthy and strong active and industrious and consequently honest and good because his condition is rendered happy the gloomy regions of misery and ignorance are peopled with morbid beings with withered hearts purify these moral sewers spread instruction the inducement to labour fair wages just rewards and then these unhealthy faces these perishing frames will be restored to virtue which is the health the life of the soul let us now introduce the reader into the room in the prison of la force in which the prisoners are allowed to see persons who visit them it is a dark place partitioned in its length into two equal parts by a narrow grated division one of these divisions communicates with the interior of the prison and is the place for the prisoners the other communicates with the turnkey's lobby and is devoted to the persons admitted to visit the prisoners these interviews and conversations take place through the double iron grating of the reception room in presence of the turnkey who remains in the interior at the extremity of the passage the appearance of the prisoners who were in this room on the day in question offered great contrasts some were clad in wretched attire others seemed to belong to the working class and some to the wealthy citizen body the same contrasts were remarkable amongst the visitors to the prisoners who were nearly all women the prisoners generally appear less downcast than the visitors for strange and sad to say yet proved by experience there is but little sorrow or shame left after the experience of three or four days spent in prison in society those who most dreaded this hideous community habituate themselves to it quickly the contagion gains upon them surrounded by degraded beings hearing only the language of infamy a kind of ferocious rivalry excites them and either to emulate their companions in the struggle for brutalism or to make themselves giddy by the usual drunkenness the newcomers almost invariably display as much depravity and recklessness as the habitués of the prison let us return to the reception-room notwithstanding the noisy hum of a great many conversations carried on in the undertones on each side of the divisions prisoners and visitors after some experience are able to converse with each other without being for a moment disturbed by or attentive to the conversation of their neighbours which creates a kind of secrecy in the midst of this noisy interchange of words each being compelled to hear the individual who addressed him but not to hear a word of what was said around him amongst the prisoners called into the reception-room by visitors the one the farthest off from the turnkey was nicolas martial to the extreme depression with which he was seized on his apprehension had succeeded the most brazen assurance already the detestable and contagious influence of a prison in common bore its fruits no doubt had he been at once conveyed to a solitary cell this wretch still under the influence of his first terror and alone with the thought of his crimes fearful of impending punishment 
might have experienced if not repentance at least that wholesome dread from which nothing would have distracted him and who knows what incessant compulsory meditation may produce on a guilty mind reflecting on the crimes committed and the punishment that is to follow far from this thrown into the midst of a horde of bandits in whose eyes the least sign of repentance is cowardice or rather treason which they make him dearly expiate for in their savage obduracy their senseless bravado they consider every man as a spy on them who sad and disconsolate regretting his fault does not join in their audacious recklessness and trembles at their contact thrown into the midst of these miscreants nicolas martial who had for a long time by report known the prison manners overcame his weakness and wished to appear worthy of a name already celebrated in the annals of robbery and murder several old offenders had known his father who had been executed and others his brother who was at the galleys he was received and instantly patronized by these veterans in crime with savage interest this fraternal reception between murderer and murderer elevated the widow's son the praises bestowed on the hereditary infamy of his family intoxicated him soon forgetting in this horrible mood the future that threatened him he only remembered his past crimes to glory in them and elevate himself still higher in the eyes of his companions the expression of nicolas's physiognomy was then as insolent as that of his visitor was disturbed and alarmed this visitor was daddy micou the receiver and lodging housekeeper in the passage de la brasserie into whose abode madame de fermont and her daughter victims of jacques ferrand's cupidity had been compelled to retreat father micou knew the penalties to which he was amenable for having many a time and oft obtained at low prices the fruits of the robberies of nicolas and many others of his stamp the widow's son being apprehended the receiver felt he was almost at the mercy of the ruffian who might impeach him as a regular buyer although this accusation could not be supported by flagrant proofs still it was not the less dangerous the less dreaded by daddy micou and he had thus instantly obeyed the orders which nicolas had transmitted to him by a discharged prisoner ah how goes it daddy micou said the brigand at your service my good fellow replied the receiver eagerly as soon as i saw the person you sent to me i directly oh you are becoming ceremonious daddy said nicolas with impatience why is this because i am in trouble no no my lad no no replied the receiver who was not anxious to seem on terms of familiarity with this ruffian come come be as familiar as usual or i shall think you have forgotten our intimacy and that would break my heart well well said micou with a groan i directly went about your little commissions that's all right daddy i knew well enough that you would not forget your friends and my tobacco i have left two pounds at the lodge my boy is it good cannot be better and the knuckle of ham left at the lodge also with a four-pound white loaf and i have added something that will surprise you in the shape of a dozen hard eggs and a dutch cheese this is what i call doing the thing like a friend and the wine six bottles of capital but you know you will only have one bottle a day well that can't be helped and so one must make up one's mind to it i hope you are satisfied with me my boy certain and i shall be so again and for ever father micou for the ham the cheese the eggs and the wine will only last just so long as it takes to swallow them but as a friend of mine remarked 
when they are gone there'll be more where they came from thanks to you who will always do the handsome thing so long as i do the same what you expect that in two or three days you will renew my little stock daddy dear devil burn me if i do it's all very good for once for once what do you mean man why ham and wine are always good you know that very well certainly but i have not undertaken to feed you in delicacies oh daddy micou that's shabby indecent what refuse me ham one who has so often brought you double tress stolen lead hush hush you mischievous fellow cried the alarmed receiver no i'll put the question to the big wig the judge i'll say to him only imagine now sir the daddy micou hush hush exclaimed the receiver seeing with equal alarm and anger that nicolas was much disposed to abuse the influence which their guilty companionship gave him i'll agree i will renew your provision when it is consumed that's all right and what's fair and you mustn't forget too to send some coffee to mother and calabash who are at st lazare they like a cup in a morning and they'll miss it what more would you ruin me you extortionate fellow oh just as you like daddy micou don't say another word but i shall ask the big wig well then they shall have the coffee said the receiver interrupting him but devil take you accursed be the day when i first knew you old boy i say quite the contrary i am delighted to have your valuable acquaintance at this particular moment i revere you as a nursing father i hope you have nothing more to ask of me said micou with bitterness yes say to my mother and sister that if i was frightened when they apprehended me i am no longer so but as determined as they two are i'll say so anything more stay another moment or two i forgot to ask you for a couple of pairs of warm woollen stockings you'd be sorry if i caught cold shouldn't you i should be glad if you were dead thank ye daddy thank ye but that pleasure is yet to come and to-day i'm alive and kicking and inclined to take things easy if they serve me as they did my father at least i shall have enjoyed my life while it lasted it's a nice life yours is superb since i have been here i have enjoyed myself like a king if we had lamps and fireworks they would have lighted them up and fired them off in my honour when they knew i was the son of the famous martial who was guillotined how affecting what a glorious parentage why do you see there are many dukes and marquises why then shouldn't we have our nobility too such as us said the ruffian with bitter irony to be sure and charlot the headsman will give you your letters of nobility on the place du palais you may be sure it won't be the jail chaplain but in prison we should have the nobility of top sawyers noted robbers to be thought much of if not you are looked upon as nobody at all you should only see how they behave to those who are not tip-tops and give themselves airs now there's in here a chap called germain a young fellow who appears disgusted with us and seems to despise us all let him take care of his hide he's a sulky hound and they say he is a nose a spy if he is they'll screw his nose around just by way of warning germain a young man called germain 
yes do you know him is he one of us if so in spite of his looks we i don't know him but if he is the germain i have heard speak of his affair is settled how why he has only just escaped from a plot which velu and the stout cripple laid for him lately why i don't know but they said that in the country somewhere he had tricked one of their pals i was sure of it germain is a spy well we'll spy him i'll go and tell our friends that'll set them sharper against him by the way how does gaubateux get on with your lodgers thank heaven i got rid of him a blackguard you'll see him here to-day or to-morrow all right how we shall laugh he's a boy who is never taken aback it's because i knew that he would find this germain here that i saw his affair was settled if it's the same chap why have they got hold of the gros boiteux for a robbery committed with a discharged convict who wanted to turn honest and work well you see the gros boiteux soon got him in a string he is such a vicious devil the boiteux i am certain it was he who broke open the trunk of the two women who live in the little room on my fourth floor what women ah yes two women you were smitten by the young un i remember you old vagabond because you thought her so nice they'll not smite anybody any more for by this time the mother must be dead and the daughter is scarcely alive i shall lose a fortnight's rent and i shan't give you a sou to pay for their burial i've had so many losses without talking of the little matters you entreat me to give you and your family that my affairs are quite disarranged i've had the luck of it this year pooh pooh you are always complaining old gentleman you who are as rich as croesus but don't let me detain you you're polite you'll call and tell me how mother and calabash are when you bring me my other provisions yes if i must ah i'd nearly forgot whilst you're about it bring me a new cap of plaid velvet with an acorn at top mine's regularly done for come now you're laughing at me no daddy by no means i want a plaid velvet cap that's my wish then you're resolved to make a beggar of me come i say micou don't get out of temper about it it's only yes or no i do not force you but-you understand the receiver reflecting that he was at the mercy of nicolas rose fearing that if he prolonged his visit he would be exposed to fresh demands you shall have your cap he replied but mind if you ask me for anything more i will give you nothing let what will occur you'll suffer as much as i shall make your mind easy i'll not make you sing force you to give money under the threat of certain disclosures more than is sufficient for you not to lose your voice for that would be a pity you sing so well the receiver went away shrugging his shoulders with rage and the turnkey conducted nicolas back to the interior of the prison at the moment when micou quitted the reception-room rigolette entered it the turnkey a man about forty years of age an old soldier with stern and marked features was dressed in a round jacket with a blue cap and trousers two silver stars were embroidered on the collar and facings of his jacket at the sight of the grisette the face of this man brightened up and assumed an expression of benevolence he had always been struck by the grace gentleness and touching kindness with which rigolette consoled germain when she came there to see him 
germain was besides not an ordinary prisoner his reserve his peaceable demeanour and his melancholy inspired the persons about the prison with deep interest an interest which they did not manifest for fear of exposing him to the ill-treatment of his brutal companions who as we have said looked upon him with mistrusting hate it was raining in torrents but thanks to her galoshes and umbrella rigolette had boldly faced the wind and rain what a shocking day my poor girl said the turnkey kindly it requires a good deal of courage to leave home such weather as this when we think as we come along of the pleasure we shall give a poor prisoner we don't think much about the weather sir i need not ask you whom you have come to see certainly not and how is poor germain why my dear i have seen many prisoners they have been sad for a day two days perhaps and then gradually got into the same way as the others and those who were most out of sorts at first often ended by becoming the merriest of all but m germain is not one of these he has still that melancholy air how sorry i am to hear it when i'm on duty in the yards i look at him from the corner of my eye he is always alone i have already told you that you should advise him not to do so but to resolve on conversing with the others or it will end with his becoming suspected and ill-used by them we keep a close lookout, but a mischievous blow is soon given oh sir is there any danger threatens him cried rigolette not precisely but these ruffians see that he is not one of them and hate him because he has an honest and proud look yet i advise him to do what you told me sir and make up his mind to talk to some of the least wicked but he cannot help it he cannot get over his repugnance he is wrong wrong the struggle is so soon begun can't he then be separated from the others for the last two or three days since i have seen their ill-will towards him i advised him to place himself what we call a la pistole that is in a room well i had not thought of one thing a whole row of cells is undergoing repair and the others are full but these wretches may kill him said rigolette her eyes filling with tears and if by chance he had any protectors what could they do for him sir nothing but enable him to obtain what these debtors who can pay for it obtain a chamber a la pistole alas then he is lost if they hate him in prison oh don't be downhearted we will look well to him but i repeat my dear to advise him to familiarize himself a little the first step is half the battle i will advise him as strongly as i can sir but for a good and honest heart it is very hard you know to familiarize itself with such people of two evils we must choose the least now i will fetch m germain but now i think of it said the turnkey there are only two visitors wait until they are gone there'll not be any more to-day for it is two o'clock i will then fetch m germain and you can talk at your ease i can then when you are alone let him come into the passage so that you will be separated by one grating instead of two won't that be better oh sir how kind you are and how much i thank you hush do not let any one hear you or they may be jealous sit down there at the end of the bench and when this man and women have gone i will tell m germain the turnkey returned to his post inside the grating and rigolette sat down very melancholy at the end of the visitor's bench whilst the grisette is awaiting the coming of germain 
we will allow the reader to overhear the conversation of the prisoners who remained there after the departure of nicolas martial End of chapter five read by celine major